This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. politics program for november 19th 2022 your old pal justin young joining you oh man there are there are days doing this show when i struggle to come up with things but not this time oh if this Time could only last forever, then I would never have a moment where I even have to grind my mental gears coming up with what to talk to you fine folks about. We are only days away from the midterms, and despite the fact that things have looked pretty blunted up until this point, friends, I spot out on the horizon. Is it indeed a watch? It has befuddled the gerbs that a election landscape that includes this high in inflation, that includes a high crime rate for which people seem to care about, has resulted in fairly middling results, at least polling-wise, for the Republicans. Well, we've got some generic turns in a, a general party preference, a sign that late swing voters might be decisively breaking to the right. We'll get to that. And I know you guys have heard me talk about the same Senate races over and over and over and over and over again. So we're going to focus on four sleeper Senate races, and I will rate them as how likely they are to surprise us, including what happens if indeed Democrats do hold off the barbarians at the gates, and what happens if that blood red wave gets way up on the shore, do the Republicans have a shot not only at a Senate majority, but a bit of padding heading into 2024 when they have an even more favorable map? All that, as well as our friend Michael Cohen, who will join us to discuss my befuddlement and talk about the same old Senate races that we've talked about a bunch of times. One of those Senate races is Wisconsin. And just so you know that we are here to gather the most fear-mongering political ads we possibly can. We played one from a a pack ad attacking John Fetterman that had the line. I'm going to say this again during the Cohen interview, but I'll say it now just because it's insane. That muggers, rapists, and murderers. Fetterman wants them all out of jail, and he wants them out now. One of the most cold-blooded lines uh, and, and insanity, fear-mongery kind of, uh, kind of lines that you could possibly say. However, this is not an exclusively Republican event. Here is Mandela Barnes 
offering a sober and by the issues policy discussion on abortion. Just kidding. It's insane. I'm Mandela Barnes, and I approve this message. All units, all units. Reports of an abortion at Central Hospital. Officers needed to detain doctor. If Ron Johnson has his way, he wouldn't just ban abortions. Doctors could go to jail for it. And Johnson's tried for over a decade. He even co-sponsored a bill with no exceptions for rape, incest, or the life of the woman. And said if women don't like an abortion ban, they can just move. But it's Ron Johnson who doesn't belong in Wisconsin. You know, as the fabric of our reality is torn apart just so you, you are motivated. You know that you need to fill out that ballot. You need to march down to that polling place. You need to hit that button for the candidate that's currently yelling at you on the television. (laughs) Oh, we're close. Oh, we're close. But first. I want to read you a quote that has gone viral from a Politico story uh, that published on Tuesday. This from a unnamed Democratic strategist who advises major party donors on where they should put their money. Quote, I think we had three really good weeks in August that everyone patted themselves on the back. We were like, yeah, that should be enough to overcome two years of S-wordy anything. Now, he said, it's not looking great. Best we can hope for is a 50-50 Senate, but the House is long gone. This has been the latest in a trend of Democratic fatalism. Now, normally, Democratic fatalism tends to show up after the elections. You know, we've gotten a few go-rounds here where, by and large, Democrats felt good going into things. Maybe even, dare one might say, overconfident. And yet, dear friends, as I speak to you right now, that is not the case. The depression has come on early, and here's why. The congressional generic ballot has long thought to have been a bellwether. I mean, the the two biggest bellwethers in midterms in general are presidential approval rating, and congressional generic ballot. Presidential approval rating, pretty simple, does what it says on the tin. How much do you like the president? And the sitting president is tended to be a guidepost for how people down the ticket will do, even if the president isn't on the ballot, which obviously they are not by definition in the midterms. The generic congressional ballot is, who do you want to vote for, a Republican or a Democrat We're not even going to tell you who is the actual people, just the parties. And all through those few weeks in August, as the strategist put it, the Democrats had not only run even with Republicans, but in many congressional generic ballots, they ran ahead. Indeed, it was. I mean, so let's give the Democrats more 
credit than just August, uh, uh, damn near in October, October 4th, October 7th, October 8th in Federalist, Politico and economic uh, economist polls. Democrats were either tied up for or up to. Here's the problem. Literally everything that's happened since. We've got a Fox News Republican uh, up one. New York Times Siena Republicans up four. Rasmussen Republicans up seven. Trafalgar Republicans up five. Harvard Harris Republicans up six. And CBS News Battleground Tracker Republicans up two. That puts the Republicans on the RCP average up 2.2. But the more of these that come out, and specifically those that have Republican advantages, will eventually wipe some of those good Democratic polls out of the average. And also, these are the ones that are happening closer to Election Day. Not so good, Al. And that's all before we even start talking about the big question. The question of whether or not Republicans are pollable. We have seen in several consistent cycles that Republicans are hard to track down. Now, the argument against that is that 2018 was a very accurate polling cycle. And that, my friends, is true. It was also mapping an election cycle that had very high Democratic turnout. And so if Democrats are answering polls, at least on a higher level, look, quants, save your emails. I know that it's more complicated than this, but we're trying to boil down the fact that we might have a blind spot here. And if we do have a blind spot, and right now on the RCP average, the Republicans are only up 2.2, then that means that blind spot is even blinder than you might think. And that means the Republicans are probably up by something larger than 2.2. Look, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that I've said it once, I've said it a lot lately, the vibes are not good right now for Democrats. The meta world for which these decisions are normally guidable, meaning the economy, meaning what voters care about is in the side of the Republicans right now. The big saving grace had been the Dobbs reversal of Roe versus Wade. And in some of these most recent polls, we've seen that poll as low as 5% in terms of most important issues. We're in a bit of a moment of existential dread when it comes to the economy. The idea of a transient supply chain led inflationary period is long gone. We've got a majority of economists, according to the latest survey by the banking industry, saying that we are almost assuredly going to be in a recession within the next few months. That means that the one thing that's been good about the economy, meaning low unemployment, is about to go south quick. And more than that, a lot of the instability that has happened has been in kind of white collar industries. Businesses that were growing, growing, growing throughout the last 15 years and now are finding themselves a little penny pinching. Jobs in media. Jobs in tech. 
good jobs with benefits and stock options. When you think of those gigs, which party do you think of those employees being? Because I've been around both of them. And there ain't a whole lot of red hats if you catch my drift. The problem the Democrats face right now is that they are on the ropes on the two biggest issues. Crime is something that I do not believe they can turn around by the time that election day comes here. They can well actually all they want, but unless you are a very specific candidate with a specific message, I don't think that the party is going to be here to save you. And the economy has really turned into a major problem for them because the Republicans have successfully made the two biggest things that Joe Biden should be campaigning on into weaknesses. And some of these are own goals. I believe that presidential historians, if this midterm does go bad, let's say it is a red wave, let's say Republicans do get control of the Senate, that maybe going it alone on the American Rescue Plan was not the best decision. You should have made sure that you tied Republicans' names to it so you couldn't get battered by it. And then, of course, there's the Inflation Reduction Act. Boy, was that a great name and brand when Joe Manchin needed to be assured that it would not raise inflation. And whether or not it has, it certainly hasn't reduced it. And so this is something that I, I really, and look, I'm going to save the majority of this kind of rant until after we see the results. But I have this feeling that when it comes to the Democratic side, there is a lot of hopium, as the kids say. There's a lot of internal gaslighting that when you've got a bill that you can't explain in one sentence, then it's a problem. And if the one sentence you're using to explain it doesn't come true, doesn't have a material effect on people's lives, then it's either useless or in the case of the Inflation Reduction Act, harmful. It looks like you tried to do something and you failed. At least right now, as we enter into the midterms. The problem with the IRA is that it was also being touted as this gigantic green energy thing. It was really an omnibus with a lot of different things, but it didn't do what was on the label. And that's a problem. Because not only, regardless of where you actually believe Joe Biden's approval rating is, he ain't out there on the on the trail. Story this week said that Dr. Jill Biden is the number one surrogate being requested. I, I, I've been I've been saying for the last week or so that I just got bad vibes for the Democrats. And you know me and my vibes. I treasure my, my, my CIA-level vibe sommelier sixth sense here. And now it seems like some other folks are starting to think so, too. Politics, 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 politics,
would say people-wise, they're about the same. is sound from last Friday out front of the Raphael Warnock Herschel Walker debate in Savannah, Georgia to show you to show you why it matters for me to be out there in these locations I'm going to bring you a bonus clip. Yes here is an interview with the libertarian candidate in this Senate race who was standing outside the debate trying to drum up uh, attention and support for himself. And here is uh, the third name on the ballot and all the polls in this race. Chase Oliver, libertarian candidate for the Georgia Senate. Uh, uh, How does it feel being out here instead of inside there? Well, you know, I feel like uh, it's doing a disservice to the voters because if I'm on the ballot, I should be on the stage. We have about 10% of the voters who are undecided. I feel really bad for them because they're not going to get a chance to hear from all three of us at the same time. What were you told about the qualifying for this specific debate? Well, they told me I had to hit a polling threshold and raise a certain amount of dollars to run this race. That what, sounds, was, what was the threshold? A uh, 10% polling threshold. But my argument is, is that it doesn't matter if 10% of the electorate is supporting me. The debate is for the undecided voters. So yeah. we have about 10% undecided, and they deserve to hear from all of us. How much did they tell you you had to raise? Uh, at least $50,000, which, you know, uh, it's, it's pretty easier for Republicans a Democrat, but when you're running as a third party or independent, it becomes more of a challenge. And I'm not really about taking people's money when we're going through hyperinflation right now. I'm about just trying to get out there and knock on doors and meet as many people as possible. If the first question was, what do you stand for and what can you do for Georgia, what would you say if you were up there on the stage? I stand for common sense solutions uh, and I'm against the hyperpartisanship that has poisoned the United States Senate. And what I can do for the people of Georgia is be honest, forthright, not lie to you, and fight for your inherent rights. Somebody, I'm sure that you've heard this before, but that you are a spoiler candidate and you're going to affect one person or the other because they'll vote for you. What do you say to those people? Awesome. Quick civics lesson. Here in Georgia, we have runoffs. So if no candidate gets 50%, they have another election a couple weeks later. Uh, and, you know, so I can't help Warnock or help Walker win. I can only get my votes. And then if there's a runoff, there's a runoff. Now, I support ranked choice voting, which is like an instant runoff, because that saves the taxpayers a lot of time and money. But I can't spoil the election for either one of them, even if I, I guess that includes all. Obviously, we've had a lot of very, very informed political talk. So let me just ask you about your backpack, because it's a very good looking backpack. It's a baby Yoda backpack. Uh, 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 tell us a little bit about what, what are you wearing tonight? So I'm a huge uh, sci-fi and fantasy nerd. I also have my uh, Dragon Con Marriott carpet pin right there. Hey! So uh, I'm a big member of the nerd community. And just like nerds, I support radical free expression and being yourself if you're not hurting anybody. I got married in Dragon Con. Awesome, dude. That is awesome. Yeah, dude. Well, thank you very much thank for taking so much. Good luck, sir. Hey, absolutely. There. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, part of the reason that we did get an interview... Because one of his handlers is a patron. If you're listening right now, thank you very much, good sir. If you would like to support this kind of outfit, especially now, come on, only a few weeks until the midterms, you get two bonus episodes each and every week. You get one on Monday morning, your first listen of the week. That is recapping all the Sunday shows and effectively recaps any uh, news that happened over the weekend. And then you get the late edition, our Thursday edition, 
That is the latest news that we are going to cover in our week. What's more, we're doing bonus episodes on top of that for patrons until the midterms. Oh, yeah. So last week, for example, on Thursday, I did one podcast from the Austin International Airport talking about the high inflation report that had just come in. And then Friday night, right after the debate, I did my recap on what I thought was a missed opportunity for Raphael Warnock and a very well-prepared and strategic performance for Herschel Walker, something that I was not at all expecting. Patrons got that first. If you head on over to Take Politics Seriously right now, takepoliticsseriously.com right now. I'm sure you could probably just hit Take Politics Seriously and they might correct it to .com. Anyway, head on over there, takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 level gets you those two bonus episodes. Any level above that at the, at the $10 level, you get more stuff, including your name at the end of this show. Friends, you are the reason why this goes. You are the reason why we are going to end this midterm campaign trail in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I do believe we are probably going to see the battle that will tip the Senate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Now, we've talked about Nevada. We've talked about Arizona. We've talked about Georgia. We've talked about Pennsylvania. What about the sleeper states? And this matters both ways here. Because if we're in a situation where some of these red wave ideas are overblown, maybe they are not what we thought. Maybe indeed Dobbs is something that is, is, is just beyond polling. And it does lead to a gigantic Democratic surge in turnout. Well, we got to look at some of the races that are on the bubble that that could go one way. Meanwhile, if the red wave is for real, then there's some races that look safe on the Democratic side that now all of a sudden you got to go ahead and uh, pull your spectacles out. Let's begin with one on the Democratic side, my home state, the Sunshine State, greatest state in the union, Florida. Marco Rubio versus Val Demings. Now, I'm going to do a little uh, uh, history here for you. I'm going to run you through the last three presidential results here. So it's big money statewide results. In 2012, Florida was one. By Barack Obama, by just shy of a point. 2016, obviously, that was Donald Trump by 1.2%. And 2020, it was Trump 3.3%. In the very closely divided state of Florida, 3.3% is effectively a a blowout. That is is an embarrassment if you lose by more than a, a point, point and a half, two. So what's the bright side case for Val Demings? The cash, homie. 
The Democratic challenger has reported raising $22.5 million during the third fundraising quarter, which ended on September 30th, more than twice as much as the $9.8 million incumbent Senator Marco Rubio reported raising, which gets us to one of the other bright side elements. Is Rubio trying? Doesn't particularly seem to be. Isn't campaigning a lot. Hasn't really felt motivated to to address Demings in a lot of ways. Hasn't defined her. He's just kind of Marco Rubio. He assumes that he has a gigantic name recognition in the state. The state isn't going blue anytime soon. He's got a supercharger at the top of the ticket with DeSantis. This is a wrap. But is it? Let me take you back to 2018. Now, granted, that was a very good environment for Democrats. Ron DeSantis might never have existed if Andrew Gillum were able to push just a few fractions of a percentage point more. And on that same night, Rick Scott very barely beat Bill Nelson for the last Senate seat decided in this state. That was a 50.1% victory to Bill Nelson's 49.9. Again, that was a very, very, very good environment for Democrats. Republicans held the uh, House, Senate, and presidency. Donald Trump was very animating to Democrats. And so on and so on. So where are we standing right now in the polls? Real Clear Politics Average has Rubio up 4.7. The most recent polls have him up 6 and 7. Look, I don't think this is a naturally powerful environment for Democrats. So I am inclined to tend to kind of uh, uh, bet the over on Rubio. If if his you know if you were to set the line at four point five, which is where his RCP average is right now, I'd probably bet over. I would bet that Rubio comes in over that. It would take a gigantic reversal. It would take just a totally unforeseen, super passionate push by folks who are are kind of single issue voters on abortion for this to really flip. And so, with all that being said, if we're ranking sleepers. My prediction is keep sleeping. This is like not going to be interesting. It's not even ambient sleep where you might like wake up and fry some eggs or make a playlist. No, no, no. Very uninteresting chamomile sleepy time tea. (laughs) Done. Z's, Z's, Z's. Let's move on. North Carolina, Bud versus Beasley. 2012. It was Mitt Romney winning North Carolina by two points. 2016, Trump won it 3.6. But here's the key. 2020, it was Donald Trump by 1.3. So North Carolina got more liberal, at least in terms of Donald Trump, between 2016 and 2020. Now, something else happened in 2020. We got the election of Republican Tom Tillis over Democrat Cal Cunningham. 
and Tillis beat Cunningham by 1.9%. That's slightly more than Donald Trump. He outran Trump there. So where is Carolina now? According to the polling, it is Bud over Beasley by 2.5%. The most recent poll that was the 10th to the 13th of this month has Bud up six. Now, a lot of conversation has gone into the fact that Cherry Beasley has run a good campaign. And I don't know whether or not that's real or if it's just that we haven't talked about her. And so that's just assumed to be running a a great campaign. The polling looks fine for her. I mean, I guess you could say that, 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 uh, uh, you know, Bud should be running ahead, but considering the last senatorial race was decided by under two points, if he's polling at 2.5, and again, we are assuming that some Republicans might not be being counted here. Let, let's pad that in just, just to be safe. Then that means that Bud's running a pretty good campaign. With all that being said, I'll buy the hype a little bit. I'll buy a safety amount of hype on Cherry Beasley. I will say that this one is the most likely to flip blue, but it's probably not close if the GOP momentum continues. So if you see, you know, Mark Kelly obviously winning in Arizona and then Fetterman squeaks one out in Pennsylvania, Warnock squeaks one out in Georgia then at that point, you look to North Carolina and you're like, oh, what's Cherry doing? Do we get a cherry on top? But if we see Senator Herschel Walker, Senator Dr. Oz, and Blake Masters running really close in Arizona, then I don't think there's any way that Cherry Beasley has a shot here. I, th- I think it's Bud, and I don't think it's really all that close. I would put it above the 1.9 that Tillis beat Cunningham. Let's swing out to Colorado. We're heading west for these last two. Bennett versus O'Day. Now we're into some solid blue country here. 2012, it was Barack Obama, 5.4%. 2016, a softening. Hillary Clinton winning by 4.9%. But, oh, baby, Colorado was Biden country in 2020, 13.5%. Now, why are we even talking about this? Bennett is an incumbent. He seems to have a fairly good hold on Colorado, And Colorado doesn't in any way resemble the purple state that at some point it once was. Well, here's why. Outside groups have uh, had $3 million in television spending against Bennett in the last week of September. The Senate Leadership Fund, a super PAC aligned with the Republican Senator Leader Mitch McConnell, announced this month that it would put $1.25 million into the race. Meanwhile, Majority Forward, a dark money group affiliated with Chuck Schumer, has spent more than $3 million attacking O'Day. 
Why is this much money going into a state that shouldn't be close? Unless it is. What would be the case for O'Day? Well, President Biden right now in Colorado, bit of a U-turn. He's only got a 42% approval rating amongst highly likely voters. Tie that into the fact that Colorado still has a fairly high Latino population. And there is the persistent worries on the Democratic side, hopes on the Republican side, that that coalition will continue to either not show up for Dems or very much begin to defect to the Republicans. Here's where I would pump the brakes when it comes to O'Day. He's recently drawn the ire of Trump. He said that not only would he not vote for Trump, he would campaign against or campaign for anybody else that is running in the primary. This earned him a Trump rebuke on his uh, listserv. I just don't like Republican chances when they can't do the Yunkin. If you can't do the Yunkin, which is "Eh, Trump, I don't need your endorsement. I don't need you to campaign. I just want to let you know, look at you. I'm going to do my thing over here and you do your thing over there. We're just going to be two people not being in the same place, but I'm not going to say, screw you, I hate you. Moving on. O'Day did the screw you, I hate you thing. And then there's also the polls. Real Clear Politics Average has Bennett up 7.7%. Although the gap has been closing, in mid-September he was up 10, according to The Hill. In the latest poll, a Marist poll, he is up 6. I don't know how much of that I buy. I don't know how much of that is noise. That being said, so now we're on the other side of the spectrum. Now we're not talking about races where if the Democrats do really well, you got to start looking at that. This is one of those, okay, well, let's say it's actually Herschel Walker beating the runoff in Georgia. Let's say it's Dr. Oz in like a one or two point win over Fetterman. And let's look out to Arizona, where only a few weeks ago I said that it was just not even a contest anymore. But Blake Masters is running really, 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 really close into like recount territory. Well, in that case, I do think you need to look at Colorado. But I don't know if that's likely. So I'm going to say that Bennett's probably safe. And now the farthest flung. Washington State. Spoiler alert for uh, an upcoming edition of the We're Not Wrong podcast. We had an emailer in who was criticizing Jen Briney because she said that she would be making her vote where she is registered in the Seattle area for Pramila Jayapal. Pramila Jayapal has been a fairly effective left-leaning House member. She has moved forward with the Progressive Caucus. And yet this this Seattle liberal, self-identified Seattle liberal, was disgusted that Jen would indeed vote for Pramila Jayapal because, 
I'm reading into this. She is not liberal enough. That gives you a sense of Washington state. Here it is by the numbers. 2012, Barack Obama won the state uh, with a 15.9% margin. 2016, it was a 15.7% margin for Hillary Clinton. And 2020, Joe Biden had a 19.2% spread in his Washington state victory. So, in this race between Murray and Smiley, Murray the incumbent, why do we have any sense of optimism for the Republican? Well, Tiffany Smiley, that Republican nominee, raised $6 million in the third quarter and has $2.5 million cash on hand. The incumbent, Senator Patty Murray, raised $3.6 million and has $3.8 million cash on hand. Wait a minute. That's not a bright side. She's got more money than the upstart. Well, let's take a look at the polling. Well, it doesn't have a whole lot of good news either. That's Murray on aggregate on Real Clear Politics up 8.7. That's a lucky number. 8.7. Sidney Crosby's number. Pens off to a hot start. All right. Back to work. Here is the bright side. When Murray ran for re-election in 2010, she only won by 5%. Although, that was the Tea Party wave. So, that was a good opportunity for Republicans. So, let's say we have another good opportunity for Republicans in the way that we did in 2010. Is that the cap for how good a Republican can possibly do in a statewide race? Now, this would obviously be a gigantic coup. If this happens on election night, not only do the Republicans have a fairly substantial lead in doing what they want in the Senate, obviously it will run into uh, roadblocks not only in the House but also in the White House, but they're setting themselves up for a filibuster-proof run in 24, when the Senate map is better for them. And it's not going to happen. Yes, it would be a massive coup. But at that point, we're talking about Herschel Walker probably has to beat the runoff. Dr. Oz just clocks Fetterman. Blake Masters has a fairly decisive victory. Adam Laxalt is, 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 is popping champagne on the strip before the, 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 you know, the sun even fully goes down in Las Vegas. We are talking an epic Republican bloodbath. And at that point, you can look to Colorado. And at that point, if Colorado, if O'Day is running ahead of Bennett at some point or running really, really close, then maybe you can turn your eyes to Washington. I think that aside from a few partisans, this is not likely. But there we go. Those are our sleepers. But wait a minute. If I'm talking about all of these races and, and I'm pointing out all of these, these situations that normally determine the midterms, the economy normally determines the midterm. 
if an issue like crime is resonating, that normally determines the midterm, then why is Walker running behind? Why is Oz running behind? Why is Masters getting his butt whipped? All of this, the, the, the delta between the two, it is vexing. And if I need help working through it, I talk to the man who wrote the book on modern political campaigns, Michael Cohen. He joins us now. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you for having me. Great to be back. I have, I have, I have nearly philosophical questions about where we are right now in the midterms. Because <laughs> if you were to tell me, take out Republican and Democrat, Party A, Party B. Party A has control of the presidency, the Senate, and the House. They have a bad economy that continues to get worse, and and whatever optimism that was in existence a, a year ago does not seem to be much there now. You've got a crime issue that is resonating with voters, and they've got a Supreme Court decision for which has galvanized them. And you were to ask me, how is that going to work out for them? I would say a red wave or, or a, a B wave. The opposition party would do really, really well. And while you're seeing some of that in this more uh, uh, recent polling, you still have big leads in a lot of these purple states like Arizona and Pennsylvania and Georgia for the Democratic candidates in the Senate. Now, weirdly, isn't always the same thing with the governors. So so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have I have uh, questions about exactly how much the meta these meta things that we normally bank a lot on matter in this election. Please help me, Michael. Help me. OK, a couple of things. Number one, the meta always matters. OK, so the political environment is always an important thing to look at. Um, we've nationalized a lot of our politics, as you, you know, have chronicled throughout all your podcasts. Um, but also these local issues matter, and even more importantly, candidates matter. And so that's why you have some of these candidates outperforming others, because some of them are crazy, some of them are unacceptable, some of them are just weak, um, some of them are underfunded. And so when you're looking at these things, it's all in one soup of, well, what does it really matter from a meta perspective, but also in that race? This has been, I'm glad you brought up bad candidates, because I feel like I've read a lot on social media and in the various political press about bad candidates this cycle. And I don't think that we're all talking about the same thing when it comes to being a quote unquote bad candidate. And I often think that people from the other side of the aisle can look at somebody and say, well, you would never appeal to me. Therefore, you're a bad candidate. And I don't know if that is necessarily reflective of winning the races that they are looking for. So for you, what is a bad candidate broadly? A bad candidate is somebody who doesn't communicate well, who doesn't raise money, um, who doesn't appear to have a set of issues that they're running on. Maybe somebody who doesn't have any experience or even relevant experience that they can port over to this kind of a, a, um, a race. For example, a, a Dr. Oz is not a bad candidate. A Dr. Oz is a first-time candidate. Yes. You know, there are other candidates that are bad candidates that may have the same kind of profile, but are not bad um, you know, in one race, but may be very bad in another place. So I think some of it has to do with where you are, some of it has to do with your skill set, some of it has to do with your background, 
And some of it has to do with the nuts and bolts of how your campaign is running. Really, the most confounding state that I have seen is Arizona, because you have Blake Masters for whom is, you know, not exactly somebody who sets the world on fire, but you know, he's not, you know, somebody who's, who's own goaling himself, particularly, you know, Mark Kelly is somebody that he's an astronaut. So he's always going to be able to rely on that, but he's not exactly an inspiring guy, although that's not necessarily a negative in this chaotic world. And yet on the other side, the, the, the gubernatorial side, the exact person for whom normally gets categorized as a bad candidate, Carrie Lake, no experience, talks about issues that are not necessarily popular with, with purple suburban voters, is doing very well against Katie Hobbs, her, her opponent there for, for, for the governor's race. What do you make of that? <laughs> okay, well, in the Senate races, it's not bad candidates. It's just meh candidates, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just whatever. They're there. Um, you can, it's like pulling in or putting in a uh, system quarterback. You know, yes. you know, if if you throw somebody in there, you're going to get a D. If you throw another one in, you're going to get an R. That's that race. There's nothing interesting about it except that Mark Kelly um, rode a rocket. You know, and <laughs> you know, and thank God he, you know, and, and thank God there are people who want to do that. I'm not yes. one of them. Um, very cool, uh, but you know, he doesn't come off like, "Hey guys, I rode a rocket. Aren't I awesome?" And he may very well be awesome, but I, I he doesn't come off that way in his campaign. And as far as his opponent, again. Meh, no big deal. Carrie Lake, on the other hand, she spent a long time in media, right? So she may not be talking about the right, you know, issues, um, but she knows how to communicate. And that's really what what her signature skill in that race and why she is so competitive. If she had the personality of a, you know, of either one of those Senate campaigns, uh, candidates, uh, neither she wouldn't be doing half as well. There was a moment on CNN State of the Union on Sunday where uh, they had both Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake on and Katie Hobbs, same lighting that everybody who does these satellite spots uh, has. Carrie Lake coming in over Skype looks like a Barbara Walter special. Like her right. lighting is perfect. It's soft focus. She's got the bouquet, uh, uh, you know, like set in, in, in the background looks right. like a million bucks. Cause as it turns out, if you spend two decades on camera, you know what your lighting should look like. Exactly. Exactly. Now, unlike my, um, my setup here, we can barely see what I might have on my walls and stuff <laughs> like that. And it all looks a little like goldish, um, sepia. Uh, but it, you know, if I were, or Carrie Lake, man, I look great today. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, for me, and so, you know, which is saying something, but I, here's the thing that matters. It does matter. Um, you know, this is how people consume their candidates right now. They're not, mm-hmm. see, they're not reading position papers. They're not, in most cases, they're not meeting them in person. You know, we'll eventually get to the Pennsylvania race. And yeah. one of those candidates finally decided he's going to do an interview. And you know, the other candidate was hitting him for not being out there all summer. And if you remember our conversation yep. at the beginning of the summer, it was, where's Oz? And now Oz, you know, made sure that he told Dasha Burns that he was, uh, he had done 200 plus events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 and and we will, yeah, let, let's, let's pivot there now. Because uh, in general, I want to note 
and this is partly my fault because uh, what I want to do for this podcast is try to get out into these battlegrounds as much as I can. I want to see candidates. I want to uh, uh, understand where they are, where their staff is, where uh, uh, their their crowds are. I very much do think that that is nutritious for the podcast. Holy hell, has it been hard during the midterms? Because not only yeah. is it is it hard to track these guys down, but boy, do they not want to tell you when they're going to be places. I was in Savannah for, for the, for the, for, for the debate there. And Warnock had an event, a block from my hotel that like I'm on every media advisory list. It would have been very nice for me to know that Warnock was going to show up at a thing, a block from my hotel. Nope. They don't care. They literally just want their staff to stand behind them while one camera shoots them. And then they can put that on social media and they can get it to the local news. And that's it. They don't want other uh, other coverage or really support or popular support of people coming in to to, to, to do it. I, I guess that's, you know, is, is it partly just because Biden won with, by barely campaigning during the pandemic or is it, it people afraid that you're going to get heckled? Like, I, I don't I don't know what the the, the rationale behind that is. Yeah, it's no longer COVID campaigning. It's like risk management campaign. Yes. You know, it's like you are worried that your candidate's going to say the stupid thing that is going to upset the race. So when the races are really close, the last thing you actually want to do sometimes is make news. Yeah. And so, you know, if you feel that you've got a great turnout operation, no reason to go ahead and upset the apple cart here. Just keep pushing forward. Go to the checkout line, take your apples home, and hopefully, you know, you'll be able to make some apple pie later. No, but this this is really the issue right now, is that they're trying to reduce the risk in a tight race where they don't feel like that their candidate um, can somehow change the dynamics of the race. And Warnock is not somebody who's going to all of a sudden, you know, flip over the apple cart and say, yeah, this is why you need to vote for me. You know, it's already in there. And, you know, he's trying to let, Herschel Walker have all the press because it's all been bad press lately. So it's one of the reasons why he's risk managing himself. Yeah. He's also allowing Herschel Walker to remind you every day why you don't want to vote for Herschel Walker. We're going to get to that after Pennsylvania, because I don't know if that's a smart strategy. Uh, uh, I don't know either. But but let's let's talk about Pennsylvania and specifically dueling interviews that happen via NBC News. Uh, John Fetterman does the first one. And winds up, uh, uh, you know, I thought it was actually a fine interview. Nobody knows exactly how much, you know, in television you cut out a lot. They did not, uh, except for one time, highlight Fetterman stumbling over his words or showing some of the cognition problems for which we now know very well do exist with him. Uh, uh, but the the host, Dasha Burns, right, uh, she winds up catching hell not only from other people inside the Fetterman campaign, including super surrogate uh, uh, Giselle Fetterman, the wife of the candidate, but also other journalists, that it was unfair that during her intro, she said, and I'll get this as close to a, a, you know verbatim as I can, that Fetterman, when they had small talk before the interview, she was not sure if he understood everything that she said. Now, I didn't even register that as anything crazy because I've been following this race. Fetterman is a disability candidate at this moment. He has made the decision that he's going to talk about his disability. He's going to center it in his stump speech. He's going to uh, uh, shame Oz for being too mean about his disability. So the fact that 
she's highlighting the fact that this does exist did not seem crazy to me. That apparently was not the case for these other journalists and 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 Giselle Fetterman. Uh, I, I I was blown away by that. Yeah, the journalist you're talking about is um, Kara Swisher, um, who is a tech journalist. Yes. Uh, kind of weird that she would go in on Dasha Burns on this, but I, I assume that there's some kind of political leaning there. And from seeing, um, you know, Kara for a long time, I mean, it's pretty clear she's left the center. Um, so there was some of that going on. But you would think that she would actually have picked up the whole thing on closed captioning, which would have been actually the most interesting thing about the interview was from a yeah. tech standpoint, which is that he was the first candidate that I have ever seen do an interview with closed captioning. Um, so that would have been interesting for her if she was a tech journalist, but at that point she just decided to go hate on my former student, um, <laughs> former star student, I would say, Dasha Burns, who I had my political campaigning course, um, uh, I think it was, God, seven years ago at this point. Which, all right, so there we go, bias, bias so declaration, a little, a little bias declaration, bias declaration, Michael, bias, Michael is, we are sympathetic on this, uh, uh, for, I think probably for philosophical reasons as well, but, but you also have, yeah. have a stake in this because uh, she was your student. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and Dasha's great. Um, you know, she went off to work for the UN for a while before she even went into um, journalism. Um, she was smart when I met her. She's smart now. It's pretty clear that everyone had the same questions about Fetterman. And so her going deep on those questions, I think, was appropriate. Yeah. Um, you know, and asking and following up on whether or not Fetterman uh, was going to release his, his um, doctoral you know, records and yeah. his health records and all those things. Perfectly appropriate. And by the way, if she had gone one or two questions instead of seven or eight questions there, she'd be hearing it from the other side, which was, well, you let him off the hook and yeah. you did this. She was in a no-win situation there. And I think that she did, I think, yeoman's work there. Um, and by the way, disclosing the fact that off camera, this is how he is, is actually more transparency than not. Because when you're off camera and you didn't have the closed captioning, it is different. And to Fetterman's credit, by the way, he answered the question. He said, look, it's hard for me to interact with my wife. It's hard for me to interact with my kids. Like that is the state of play in his life right now. And on top of all of that, Fetterman really answered the question, I thought, in a very creative way where he said, hey, look, I, I thought I was an empathetic person before. I'm an even more empathetic person yes. now. And I think that that is good. And Dasha brought that out of him. So I think a lot of the smoke and mirrors about this, they didn't spend the 30 minutes that I did, which is watching the entire tape, which is on YouTube, and then watching Oz's tape, which I was able to catch today that ran around 20 minutes, yep. um, in which he says, yeah, you know, I wouldn't talk to my patients like this. You know, he's a candidate, you know, and he came at it from the perspective of, you know, I wish that John had done those interviews earlier yes, because then I would have a sense of basically who I'm running against and who other people were voting for. So. You know, I think when you juxtapose those two interviews, Oz, in a smart way, did did not go all the way in on Fetterman there. He actually showed some compassion as a doctor, seemed very reasonable. And I think Fetterman did himself actually very well by how he held in there. And even when he did stumble, he said, look, that's that's the issue that I'm dealing with right there. You know, and so he called it out at certain parts. And it really I thought both of these people did real well with Dasha, to be honest. I thought it was. I thought they were both good interviews. I watched. I yeah, watched I the, 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 the. I, I watched the broadcast version of the Oz one, uh, but but I, I have not seen the full tape of either. But I thought for both of them, look, it was it was good. I think this is it remains a very interesting race. Uh, the Fetterman strategy, considering how 
nana nana boo boo uh, uh, kind of uh, they have they have been from the very beginning. It's an interesting strategy to go from Doctor Oz is a fake doctor puppy killer to well, but he's also too mean. and even worse from New Jersey and right. even worse from New Jersey. It's like yeah. it is. It's 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 interesting to see. Fetterman say like, well, but this crossed the line. Sure, I said that you killed puppies, but like literally. But but this is this is something pointing out that I had a stroke. Come on, buddy, have some decency. Yeah, and also by the way, I'm really empathetic, and I'm empathetic, though. I'm empathetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You killed yeah. puppies, which is definitely you're from a Jer- thing. You're a Jersey killing puppy killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, but but hey, man, you know this really changed it all for me. So it's a it's a tough little detour for him as well. So the there's a lot going on in this race. A lot of it's interpersonal. And so I, I literally can't wait until that, that debate. Cause I think it's going to be fascinating. Ooh, I mean, that's, uh, uh, I believe one of the, one of my favorite tweets that came out last week was that it will almost certainly be the most highly rated, uh, broadcast in Pennsylvania. That is not either a Steelers game or an Eagles game. Like, like that's, 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 that's the rare air, which Senate debates normally no one cares. We had one where people cared in, in Savannah. We have another one with, with, with Pennsylvania before we, we go to Georgia though, I want to talk broadly about crime because that seems to be the issue for which the Republicans that nationally have had a hard time coalescing on one bumper sticker thing uh, uh, but now they seem to have all gotten on the idea that no, Democrats, soft on crime, murder rate, violent crime rate. That's what matters. It matters in the suburbs. It matters in the cities. It can depress Democratic turnout and it can win us the the counties that we need to win. How much do you think that that by the day after the midterms, are we going to be talking about this as the crime election? Um, probably not. I mean, we're probably going to talk about, you know, that it was the economy and it was probably inflation. Um, but for me, it's like that secondary level of kind of issue that is yeah. super interesting to me. Like if we're talking about crime over abortion, that is a massive win for the GOP, yes. that they were able to figure out another issue to put on the docket because they couldn't really push abortion off. They just slid something else in there that people care about, right? No matter when you pull this, no matter when you've done this, whether it's the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, the aughts or the tens or now, you know, everyone cares about crime in their own community. And everyone also overestimates how much crime they have in their own community. So it's an yes. excellent issue for the GOP. It's one of the things that still holds the GOP together. And so, um, you know, post COVID, there's been a crime bump because yep. during COVID, a lot less crime, a lot less people on the streets, less, a lot less people you know, out and about, so you can have less crime. Now, more people out and, um, you know, like there was a backlog of travel, there's a backlog of crime. And so, you know, the people who, you know, were pissed off they couldn't commit crimes for two two years are now back <laughs> on the job. And, you know, the GOP is on it, you know, and they're saying, you know what? Again, like inflation, you have crime. I mean, you can tie a couple of things together that say, okay, when you're looking at that, you know, trend chart and it went all the way down, it spiked the hell back up. And whose responsibility is it? Well, it's the incumbent X that I'm running against. And that X is the Democrat. How much is this defund the police uh, uh, ghost haunting the Democrats? Even even if they, they danced around it and they said, no, I didn't say defund the police. I, I just winked at somebody who said it. Like, h- how much is this uh, hanging around their neck? 
It is, particularly in purple areas where you have, you know, certain campaigns that are running. Um, forget I said, I've said anything about the police. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As opposed to, yeah, defund the police. Oh, that doesn't work. That's very bad. I really wish I hadn't said that. Um, here, here's a, some free advice for Democrats. Don't ever run against your own police force. Not a great yes. idea, especially when you're soft on crime um, or perceived to be soft on crime. Um, never give them other reasons to say you're soft on crime. I mean, there are many reasons why Democrats have been called liberal and liberal was a, a bad word for you know the 70s and 80s. Um, now it's to fund the police. I mean, you're, they basically are giving them rhetorical tools to use against them. Democrats are not as good at using rhetorical tools against the GOP, but the GOP is excellent at, at weaponizing the kinds of things that Democrats say against them. There was, I mean, the, 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 the PAC ad that came out it was from, I think, MAGA Inc., uh, whatever that pack is, that, that came out against Fetterman that had they spent line, any money? Uh, well, yeah, apparently. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know who I thought exactly they just raised running. money. I didn't know they spent money. Well, no, no, no. I don't think that it wasn't Save America Pack. Save America Pack is Trump's. That one is sitting mm-hmm. on, on uh, you know, the same amount of, of uh, yeah. money that was in Smaug's uh, cave. Uh, <laughs> and, and they have not spent a, a shilling of it, at least from, from, my, from my vantage point. But but no, MAGA Inc., and I don't know who's running it, but they ran an ad uh, against Fetterman in Pennsylvania that included the line, uh, muggers, rapists, and murderers. Fetterman wants them all out, and he wants them out now. (laughs) And it's like, when, when when that's airing, it's just, oh, talk about, talk about ugly. I mean, is that just too on the nose almost? I mean, you I, know, I feel know. like we've we've gotten past all the nuance here where it's like we show a, a picture of a black man who was, you know, let out on a furlough and it's Willie Horton, yep. and, you know, rapes, murders, terrible things. Right now it's like, no, they're raping, they're murdering. Doesn't matter. All of them are. <laughs> all of them. All of them. All, Fetterman, if Fetterman is elected, he will run out. to the jail and he will just hit the comically large the button yeah. that lets everybody out at the exact same time. Uh, exactly. Yeah, no, it's certainly yeah, right. not a lot of nuance uh, on this. Yeah. They are they are playing to the most base instincts. Speaking of the most base instincts, we have a very interesting race in Georgia. And this kind of gets back to where I was going before. Not only in Pennsylvania, but also in Georgia. If the top two issues in these races are the economy and crime, then like it makes me more think that some of these three point leads, these average, these four point leads are going to be surmountable. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's going to be enough to get anybody over 50 percent in Georgia specifically. But what is your read on this Warnock Walker race? That's a tighter race than than you would imagine. Yeah, I mean, in in a lot of these races where there's some sort of personal baggage, we've seen a lot in polling over the past several years, particularly with Trump and also with candidates aligned with Trump, that the the we are undercounting those supporters. So in other words, like you're seeing it's three or four percent. I mean, that's essentially in the margin of error anyway in a statewide poll. I mean, if you're doing it. A survey of like 800 people, your margin of error is north of three or four percent. So, it's it's noise, and so within the noise, you're trying to find the signal, and the signal may very well be that um, Russell um, Herschel Walker was a great running back, and man, dude, that'd be so cool if he was a senator. And yeah, yeah. all these guys they do trashy things, you know, because they're professional athletes, and that's fine. I mean, again, with the thing 
with Trump was is that, oh, he was, a, he was a TV star and like he's in this kind of an environment. And so you sort of put them in that box, you know, and say, well, that's what they do. You know, this isn't a person who's like me, but that's what they do. Right. And so with the Herschel Walker thing, they just want to know what you're going to do as opposed to what you've done. And I think that that's where if Walker is smart, he just runs the tape on what I'm going to do as opposed to what I've done. And, um, you know, I think Warnock, I mean, he barely got through the last time. And yeah, this one is even more difficult. And on top of that, he's also running against a governor who is going to wipe the floor with his former opponent. Um, You know, I think that that race, that race is over. And, um, and Stacey Abrams's career is basically over unless she wants to go run the DNC, which she should have done. Um, She should not have run this year, but you know, candidates are going to do what candidates want to do. And in this case, the spread between, you know, Purdue and, um, and Warnock is going to be significant. Uh, uh, oh, you mean, you mean, uh, Kemp and Kemp and Abrams or I'm sorry, Kemp and Kemp, 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 Kemp and Kemp Abrams. Abrams. No, no. The, the good news yeah. is they were all yeah. still Georgia politicians. Uh, uh but, yeah. yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, got I, yeah. I got some crap because I responded to a tweet over the weekend saying that I thought Walker was one of the more prepared debate candidates and a bunch of people got in my mentions and they're like, Oh, he talks like he has CTE and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, number one, like we we're we're prone to football metaphors. The two of us, you can only create an offense with the players you have. Herschel Walker is either going to win or lose being a folksy Southern boy who is just going to tell it how it is. So if he says to a question about healthcare, well, the thing about diabetes is that people need to work out more. That's a very Southern politician, you know, a, a good old fashioned common sense uh, aside from all these fancy politicians that talk politician talk. He's going to do that. That's what that's, you know, he's going to win or lose saying that 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 is that is him being him. If you deny that and you try to make him repeat policy positions, he's going to sound like more of a, a fish out of water than he was already. What I thought was smart was that he totally distanced himself from the the federal Republican Party. And every time he pivoted back to, no, this is what I believe Governor Kemp, Governor Kemp's abortion bill, Governor Mm -hmm. Kemp's economic policy. That's what I think. I'm a Governor Kemp uh, Republican. Republican. Yeah, not a Purdue Republican. Not a Purdue Republican. Uh, But but yeah, he like that to me, if we understand that Warnock wins by ticket splitting with Kemp voters, and 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 Walker voters and Walker wins by preventing that. It's I heard a lot more of 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 the things that would make the latter happen than the former in that debate. Yeah, and the other thing too is that I understand why that was news at all. I mean, guy in great shape tells other people to work out. Story <laughs> ten, you know, wonderful. <laughs> you know? Exactly right. Yeah, like you expected. Wait a minute, you expected the pro athlete, the former pro athlete, to tell you that. You shouldn't work out and you'll be fine. I mean, come on. Yeah, of course. Yes. Not. Yeah. But he's, he wasn't preachy about it. He wasn't like, everybody get, get down and give me 15. No, he didn't do no. that. He's just like, yeah, you know, if you eat like shit, you're going to end up with, with diabetes. Tough. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, uh, and of course, and then everybody comes in. Oh, there's more than one type of diabetes. It's like, okay, I fine. Know. Sure. Yeah. Give Everyone it, give knows what for, he's talking about. Save it for yeah. your blog. Uh, uh, yeah. Even. The badge. Now, I I was I was live streaming when it happened, yeah, and I 
I, 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 I did a, a thing afterward. I thought this is, is number one, what people forget about that moment is that Herschel Wa- or Raphael Warnock had just said, I don't pretend to be police and I've never threatened to shoot out with the police, which is the first time in that debate that he was yeah. making mention to Herschel Walker's domestic violence stuff. He had he did not do it again after that. He had not done it before. And it all ended because Herschel pulls out his badge. Now, even if we are to understand that that is a a a a thing, a, a a piece of appreciation that the Cobb County Sheriff's Office gave him because he spent two hours talking to them and told them that they could achieve their dreams just like he did being a running back. You are telling me that if you want to clown him for that, that all you're doing is highlighting that he's a police fanboy when crime is a major issue amongst a lot of your voters, specifically those Kemp voters like that to me seems like a bad decision when, when, you know, people on Twitter are like, oh, he should sell little badges. This is a huge fundraising opportunity. I would not. I would not do that. I, I would if I'm Warnock, I'm getting as far away from crime as I possibly can. Unless we're talking about the crimes that Herschel Walker has committed. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's nonsensical. I mean, people don't really understand that most campaigns are really about like what's on the agenda. OK, not not necessarily the national agenda, but what's in the race. So if the campaign was really about abortion, Warnock would be ahead by five points, maybe even a lot more, right? But it's not. It's about the economy. It's about inflation. And now it's about crime. So the more you talk about the fake badge, well, okay, fine. It was a fake badge. My, you know, staff, it was bad staff work. They gave me the wrong thing or whatever. It's totally explainable, the badge. But it's not explainable why you're talking about crime when crime's not good for you. Yes. Yeah. And that that to me, uh, uh, Walker was way more confident in that debate. I think he I think he took it to Warnock. He continued to hammer a very clear message. Warnock is a lackey for Joe Biden. Do you like Joe Biden? No. In Georgia, a lot of you don't. So if you like if you like Joe Biden, vote for Raphael Warnock. If you don't like Joe Biden, you might not think I'm smart, but I'm smart enough to know if Joe Biden's for it, I'm against it. And that's something that is going to carry him uh, forward. I don't know if it's going to win, but I, I think I was I was surprised at how well prepared he was and how much he stuck to the script. I think Walker's the smartest thing that he has done is he's realized that the more generic Republican he is right now, the better for him. Yes. So in other words. It's not really about me. It's about me not being Joe Biden. It's about me being a camp guy. It's me, and then, it's me. It's me being the guy you probably are and wish you had a candidate that you can invest in. I may not be the perfect candidate for you, but I'm definitely better than this other guy. And then there's the way he reacted to the scandal because the scandal was big. Everybody would say, oh, this has exploded the entire race. And you have those snap polls that happen five seconds after the news drops. And it shows, you know, Warnock up 15. But the way that and and I thought it was more about the sun coming out than it was even the story. But the way that Walker reacted to it, he just smiled, said, boy, they're desperate. Boy, they're coming after me now. It felt like kind of a, a a a MAGA bar mitzvah for him. Like all of a sudden, you had all these these people that that wouldn't otherwise they haven't rallied to Dr. Oz, they but they rallied to Herschel Walker because they're like, oh wait, if you're gonna take a hit like that, 
and just smile your way through it. That is something that that was very uh, attractive. And I, I don't know if I've seen a reaction like that since Trump. You saw it with Clinton. Yes, it was amazing. It was yes. amazing. The, 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 the Herschel Walker moment is exactly right out of the playbook from Clinton. It's the oh, yeah, that might have happened a while ago. And. Oh, yeah. Hey, look at over this shiny ball over here. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's got my smile on it. Let's go running, guys. Let's go to McDonald's together. Like, I mean, that is exactly that playbook. I mean, it is the most Clintonian thing I've seen this cycle so far. I'll tell you what. I think we got to punch out on that. That was too good. Too good of a take. Uh, 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 Michael Cohen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, uh, where can people find more of you? Um, you can find me on the interwebs at michaelcohen.us and you can connect, uh, you buy my book, you can take my classes, you can do all kinds of other <laughs> things, but just go there. You get, you'll get the sense of what you want to follow on Twitter. It's at Michael Cohen. And, and there you will find uh, me. You will not find the other guy. Um, the unfortunately named Michael Cohen, who is at Michael Cohen two twelve. So don't at me, bro. No, no, no. And by the look, we're 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 going to move you ahead in relevance. This this podcast is going to continue to steamroll, and and, and you're you single handedly only, doing this. Yeah, this is it. This is it. There's going to be. I mean, because because come on, there's only so much that. I mean, even MSNBC is getting tired of of that other guy. So so now it is Aren't it is only all? the one with, with with salient political points that we want to hear from. Thank you so much, Michael. You bet, brother. Take care. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to email the program, you can do so at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. And we're getting into that season. I know there's some people listening. Y'all are cheesed off. Y'all are pissed off because I'm saying things you don't want to hear right now. And I understand. I would say write that angry email to me saying that I'm leaning my uh, uh, thumb on the scale one way or another. Read it over. Give it a minute before you hit send. Ah, who are you kidding? Uh, Just go send it. Send me all your hate and vile. I love it. I eat it. I'm like Mr. Fusion in Back to the Future. It makes me go further. If you want to go further for this show and thank Mr. Cohen for coming on the program, taking the time out of his day, because, you know, by the way, he, he's he's a real political consultant. He does that stuff for a living. He takes his time out of his day to talk to us because he loves this show. Then head on over to letter P letter X number three guest dot com. You want to hit me up? On Twitter, it is at Justin R. Young. You want to hit the show up on Twitter, it is at px3tweets. You want to find me live on the internet, it is px3live.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. If you would like to hit me off with a one-time donation to keep this fully independent uh, ramshackle enterprise moving. It is paypal.me slash pay jury. Our Venmo is Justin dash young dash 20. And our cash app is PX three cash. Of course, if you'd like to send anything to me in the mail, you can do so PO box 15 31 84 Austin, Texas seven, eight, seven, one, five. But, and this is the big key. If you want that bonus content, 
in these final weeks before we go to the midterms, there's only one place you can get it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Andres, Matt, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Catherine, Todd, person familiar with the matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA Select Start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris, Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana's turn two. Miranda Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, D Laser, just another pilot, middle aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted. Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen A L D L D L D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, Joshua, guys, that's it for us today. We're wrapped, man. We're wrapped. We're tapped out. But guess what? I'm back Friday. And in something that I would like to make a a, a tradition as we get closer to big elections, not to say this is the only time we're going to have this man on, but I do want to codify it. Because Kevin Ryan's coming back on the show. And we talked for an hour. I've already recorded it. It's really good. And I only gave him one prompt. What is the mood? Of the nation. As you might imagine, with conversations that Kevin and I have, it goes every which way. I think you guys are going to love it. The Kevin episodes always get a great reaction, and I'm happy to bring them to you. Till then, it's your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.